Well, we are going to wrap up our What's, What's in a Name series. Um, we're going to talk about El Roy today. So the last one, I felt like that's what I was supposed to preach and end on. El Roy in Genesis chapter 16. And then not next week, but the week after, we're going to move into the elementary principles of Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 6, Paul says, now laying again a foundation, not, or leaving the elementary principles of Christ. And then he lists six things, seven because it may be plural, we're going to get into that. Um, well, no doubt, seven, really. But because I think this is important, I want, to, I want to encourage you guys to try to make these ones. So six sermons that I think that we're getting away from sound doctrine in the church. We are. And if Paul says, hey, these things are important, we should listen. Like If these six things are the, 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 the important, then we need to listen. For example, I, I know of a youth pastor that was fired because he preached on eternal judgment. And his pastor said, you will never preach that again because at this church we don't preach on that. That's not okay. And guess what I'm going to preach on? I'm going to preach on eternal judgment. That's what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to preach on baptism. I'm going to preach on water baptism. And I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit baptism because that's what Paul lists in those verses and so forth and so forth and saved by faith, and repentance from dead works. Those things need to be preached from the pulpit often, right? Amen. We need to get into those things. And then I think that maybe going into this next year, we're going we're gonna to go through Genesis. I've been praying about that. It's kind of where I've been feeling led to go is in Genesis. But this morning, we're in Genesis chapter 16. We are going to talk about the story, and I'm going to mess this up, guys. I just want you to know. I'm going to use them interchangeable. It's just the way it's going to go. Because in Genesis 16, Abraham is still Abram, and Sarai is still, isn't had her name changed yet to Sarah, so she's still Sarai, and Hagar. So those are our three people in our scripture we're going to talk about this morning. And, and the, the idea is, is that Abraham has no children, right? We talk about this often. But the promise that God made to him is that he would have children. He would have children. They would be a blessing to the nations. That, they, that, that he would have many, many children, more than, than he can count. And yet he does not have children. And so we find the name of God that we're talking about this morning in Genesis 16, verse 13. Let me read it to you. It says this. So she, and she is Hagar, we're going to find out in a little bit called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. So this is one of the very few times in scripture that someone actually names God, right? Most time he just has a name. In this case, she is actually naming him. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. That phrase there is Elroy, the God who sees. Now, the way you look at people is important, isn't it? I am constantly telling my kids, when you shake somebody's hand, you give them a firm handshake, no fish, firm handshake, and you look them in the eyes because people want to be seen. When you are having a conversation with somebody, this drives me crazy when teenagers do this kind of stuff. They're talking to you and they're looking this way. It drives me crazy. You look them in the eyes and you have a conversation with them. Because people want to be seen and they want to be heard, right? That's respectful. And you know what? God put that inside of you. Did you know that? God put that inside. Why would God 
put that desire inside of us to be seen and to be heard. Think about that. Well, it all goes back to the garden, okay? In the garden, so many things go back to the garden. In the garden, God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. There was this desire inside of them to be seen and heard by God. He did that for a reason, right? Every time maybe they did something creative, did something productive, God saw it. And when they spoke to God, God heard them. That was, it was their desire to be seen and heard, which is a desire that you and I have. It's why your kids will say, look at me, mama. Look at me, daddy. Right? They do. Anybody I know kids want your attention all the time, right? All the time. We were at, a, we had a quick board meeting on um, Wednesday night, and I had my little Israel with me, my son Israel. He's 12 years old. And uh, he, we got home late about 8 o'clock, and he still needed to shower, and he still needed to eat. So he sat at the, the table, and he was the only kid down there, which is pretty rare, seeing as we have four kids. He's, he's got full attention. And he sat there, and, and Tracy had made him the sweet and sour chicken with some rice, delicious stuff. And he sat there, and he was talking her ear off. This and that. And he's always trying to be funny to you. Telling us jokes. Doing this. And he's just talking, 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 talking. And he gets to the point that he's just got a bowl sitting there. He's got like two spoonfuls of rice in it. And, and as he's talking, and I'm like, hurry up and eat. <laughs> hurry up and eat. And like 50 minutes later, he still has not eaten. You know what it dawned on me? It dawned on me that he wasn't really wanting to eat that food. He was enjoying having our attention. He was being seen, and he was being heard. And every one of us has this desire to be seen and heard by God. God put that inside of us so that we would seek him and speak to him and do the things that would make him proud. We all have that inside of us. He is Elroy, the God who sees. So let's look at Genesis 16 this morning. Let's just discover why that's so important. Genesis 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So into my servant, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, and after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now, I just want to get, make sure that we get one thing really clear here. Like, th th this is important, okay? Just because the Bible records something does not mean that God condones it. So if you talk to a lot of like atheistic communities, a lot of people that attack the Bible, they will try to use this scripture as a scripture of we have higher morality than God, as if you could ever be higher moral, have higher morals than God himself, right? But he, they will try to use this scripture and say, well, see, God was okay with this. No, 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 listen. Just because God recorded it doesn't mean that he condones it. And we are going to find out as we go through our Genesis series, this was not something that turned out well for Abraham. He was walking out of the will of God when he did this thing. We're going to find that out as we talk about Ishmael and all those things later on in Genesis. But you got to know, let's get that right. 
Bible records it, but he didn't necessarily condone what happened to Hagar. Amen? Verse, verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That's Sarah. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do as you please to her. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Now let's unpack this a little bit, okay? So Hagar is the servant, or you could even say slave, of Abraham, Abraham and Sarai, right? And so she then becomes the wife of her master. So you have a little bit of hope here, right? There's a little bit of like, hey, I'm kind of moving up in the world, right? Like everybody can kind of see that. But she's not treated as a wife, is she? Abraham says to, says to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do, it to her, do to her as you please. Now, Abraham is the father of our faith, right? And look how messed up this situation is. There's hope for you and I also, <laughs> right? There's hope for us. Praise the Lord, there's hope for us. We are sinners. So Hagar is given this great hope. She becomes the wife of, of, of Abram, but she's still treated as a servant and treated unfairly and harshly by Sarai. But then let's look at, let's look at Sarah's, Sarah's situation here, right? So here she is. She's almost 90 years old. Every promise she's been given has to do with children. She followed this dude Abraham into this strange land, left everything so that she knew, to follow Abram and has no children, even though he said he, she would have children. So she thinks of this idea. Let's, let's, give a, let, let's have a child. I'll give you my servant. You can marry her. Let's have a kid. And maybe somewhere in her mind, she thought, this is the best decision. I'm doing him a solid. Like, we're going to have kids. And finally, God can fulfill the promises that he has been making to us. And what happens as a result? She gets treated like with contempt, right? She gets treated poorly by Hagar. The contempt, the definition of contempt is this. The feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration. That's what the definition of contempt is. So maybe in Sarah's mind, she thought, I was doing the right thing, and now this servant girl is treating me with contempt, and even though she can have kids and I can't his, have kids, this is unfair, and so she starts to treat Hagar harshly. Pretty confident. This had happened today. This is an episode on like Jerry Springer, Dr. Phil, right? We'd all be watched like, what in the world? This is craziness. But, and then Hagar decides to take off. And she runs and hides. But this is what I want you to know. No matter where you run to, you cannot outrun God. No matter how fast you are, no matter, if you could find the best hiding spot in the world where no one will ever find you, and you know who's still there? God is still there because he is Elroy. He is the God who sees. He is the God who sees. Let's keep reading verse 7. The angel of the Lord, that's an important phrase, the angel of the Lord found her by, by a spring of water in the wilderness 
the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said, said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Wait a minute. That's the last thing in the world she wanted, right? The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you, they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Now catch the, catch the importance of this. The, the name Ishmael means to hear. The Lord is saying, I hear your affliction. There might be some people in the room that need to hear that this morning. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all, all his kinsmen. So, shall, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. That's a pretty great ringtone right there. <laughs> love it. I love it. <laughs> now, see, I think this is probably a great way to end our series. Because remember, our, our main scripture for this series is Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, him being Jesus, the name that is above every name. And in our text, what we see is a Christophany. Probably not pronouncing that perfectly. Christophany which is Jesus in the Old Testament. That phrase, angel of the Lord, is most people believe that is Jesus in the Old Testament. So Jesus is seeing Hagar's affliction. He sees her. See, when, when, gave, when, when God gives Hagar a name, he says, Ishmael, he is saying, I hear you and I see you. And God wants you to know that this morning. God hears you and he sees you. He isn't some distant God that is out there somewhere that is just, well, maybe he'll pay attention one day. No, he hears and sees you right now. There's three points I have for you this morning. Three points about this scripture that, that I have for you that, that, is, that, that I want to talk to you about today. If you're taking notes, the first one is Jesus sees your worth. Jesus sees your worth. When you look at the story of Hagar and Sarai, it is clear they do not get along, right? This is a fight. They, they do not like each other. See, how often in our own lives do we, can we not get past our sinful nature, our finite being's self, and see the worth that somebody else has? Sarai doesn't see any worth in Hagar, and Hagar doesn't see any worth in Sarai. They're treating each other with contempt and unfairly. But I want you to know that God does not have our sinful nature. He looks at every single individual and he sees worth, value. I love the scripture, Jeremiah 31 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. Amen? God does not look toward you as with contempt. He doesn't say, oh, they're so far beneath me. No, he loves you and values you. 
there are a lot of people that would have written Hagar off, wouldn't there have been? A lot of people that would have said, ah, she's kind of worthless. She's just a servant girl. She's just a slave. But God sees her affliction. God sees her moment of trial. And I want you to know that sometimes when you are most desperate, sometimes when you are in a situation that that you are serving someone that doesn't value, that's the moment God decides, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless what they're doing. I see their affliction, and I'm going to show them how powerful I am. That's the God, that's Elroy, that's the God who sees us. Sometimes there's this, there's these moments that you are serving people that do not value you and do not, you do, do not care about you. Keep on serving. God sees you and God sees your service. Jesus looks at every single one of us in the room and he sees our worth. A couple years ago, my son Gabriel was in um, seventh grade track. And I, I didn't know if he would actually like it because, you know, he's kind of combat sport, football. But he loved it. He loved track, and he was fairly good at it. He was uh, still kind of young, still seventh grade. But we get, like, halfway through the track season, and I notice that, like, half of the other kids have track shoes. I'm like, why doesn't my son have track shoes? <laughs> this should be a thing, right? And so my wife, being the sensible one, was like, I am not buying $60 shoes for two more track meets that he's going to grow out of next month. Makes sense, right? So I'm like, well, I'm going to find me some track shoes. So I start checking the secondhand stores, right? I literally pray, God, please help us find some track shoes. So I checked the, check the one in Sandpoint. I checked two in Sandpoint, zero track shoes whatsoever. They didn't exist, right? I checked one in Coeur d'Alene when I was there this week, that week, Zero track shoes. Didn't exist. I go over to Kellogg, and I, and, and I preach on there on a Sunday, and I'm on my way home, and, I, and I'm like, I'm going to just try one more place. And I knew that the probability of finding these shoes were almost zero. But I get to this secondhand store. I don't remember which one it was. I get there, and I can't make this up. There is like a brand new pair of track shoes that fit him perfectly and me and Gabriel celebrated like we were, had won the lottery. And sure enough, it, they made, it, made him faster. They really do work. I, it, like he was faster. His times were quicker than when he had these track shoes. But somebody took these track shoes that were in great condition and put them over in Goodwill, a secondhand store, because they had no value to them anymore. And sometimes in life, that is how you are going to be treated. And God will take you and say, oh, there's value. You're worth something. There's potential here. That's exactly what he does to Hagar. You might have been tossed about, given up on, told that there's no chance you will succeed. But Jesus sees your worth. He sees your worth. And he will celebrate you with you when you build his kingdom. Amen? Amen? The second point I have for you this morning Jesus sees your potential. Jesus sees your potential. He values you. He loves you. But you have potential inside of you. You have a gift inside of you that maybe nobody even recognizes. But he does. You know why? He's the one that put it there. He recognizes that. He knows your gifting better than you know your gifting. Don't be surprised when he calls you to do something that you're like, I can't do that. 
Well, he knows you better than you know yourself. He sees your potential. He tells Hagar, go back, submit yourself to Sarai. How many people in the room know that was the last thing in the world she wanted to do, right? Anybody ever been fighting with somebody? Like, and, and the last thing you want to do is go back and talk to them. I've been there. Anybody else? Yes, right? We've all been there. But he goes, tells, tells Hagar, go back. Submit yourself to, to Sarai. That craziness. The things that are going on. The message is simple. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. God will often tell you to go bloom where you're planted. It might not be ideal. It might not be the situation you wanted to be, on, be in. But you, he can cause you to bloom exactly where you are at. He can cause that to happen. But one of the ways that we walk away from the blessing of God is oftentimes we will live to be seen by men and not God. And when you live to be seen by men, you will always be disappointed. Let me say that again. It's important. Take your notes, write this down. When you live to be seen by men, you will always be disappointed. There are a lot of mothers out there that are working exhausting hours, that are, that are doing everything they can to keep their family together, to raise godly children, and they receive zero recognition. Mom, keep it on. Do, you are being seen by God. He will cause your family to bloom. Be planted in that family. There are some people out there that are working jobs that get zero recognition. And, and they feel like they are working as hard as they can, but nobody ever recognizes them. Plant or bloom where you are planted. Don't move on until God tells you to move on. What happens so often is we don't like what's going on. We don't like the situation. We, we, we don't like the, the scenario. And what happens when that happens? We often dis detach ourselves from doing that thing. That could be your job. It could be the church. That could be your family. We don't like it, so we're like, oh, hey, you know what? I'm going to kind of just, I'm going to detach from that. I'm not going to get as involved emotionally and, and spiritually, and I'm not going to do as much. The other day I was at Robert and Debbie Kills, who's sick today. They texted me so they wouldn't be at church. They're not feeling well. But I was at their house, so I don't know, three or four weeks ago, Trace, I can't remember. I was at their house, and they have these beautiful gardens. I mean, they grow so much. P potatoes, and they were talking about growing corn and tomatoes. And, and in fact, the other day they brought us some tomatoes that were absolutely delicious. And so I'm, I, I was over there, and they're beautiful. But I had this thought this morning. What if Debbie and Robert, they, they went home, and they, they pulled their plants up, and they laid them on the dirt? What would happen? They shook off all the dirt, and they just laid them there. They would die, right? And that's sometimes exactly what we do right? We're in the situation, and we'll stick around for a little bit. Are you really planted, right? Sometimes we detach ourselves from whatever's going on in our life, our family, our church, our job, whatever that looks like, and we don't really plant ourselves in, even though because we don't like it for whatever reason, and then we wonder why we don't bloom. No, God says, plant yourself and bloom. He can work any situation he can do anything in any position. 
God will sometimes bring you to a situation that will challenge you and cause you to grow. But you have to plant. You have to plant. Don't rush the process. Don't rush the process. Don't move on until God says move on. Plant yourself. The third point I have for you this morning is Jesus causes you to see others. Jesus causes you to see others. As you grow and mature and you bloom, you will begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. We start to live a different life. Philippians chapter 2 says this, Do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look, everybody say look, Elroy, not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. As you bloom and as you mature in Christ, you will begin to see other people the way Jesus sees them. We don't live to be seen, but to see. Let me say that again. We don't live to be seen, but to see. The last, uh, I don't know, couple weeks, I've been very, very excited about some things that have just happened in my life personally. I have, I haven't been the only one by any means, but for, I don't know, about the last seven years, I've known some young people that I would say that I have been a spiritual mentor to, that, that I knew them, some of them when they were in middle school and then high school, and now they're adults. And, and I have been speaking into their life for a long time. One of them, Tracy and I meet, were meeting with often and praying for her. Well, just in the last couple weeks, like the one that Tracy and I have been meeting with, she, like I told her, we were praying one day, and I said, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need to go to school for ministry. All of them feel like it's called a ministry. I said, you need to go to school for ministry. Two weeks ago, she started at Northwest University on the Kalispell campus, and she's interning at Canvas Church in Kalispell. How exciting is that, right? It's amazing. Then just last week, I received a phone call. There's been a couple that we've been mentoring for a long time. We're not by any means the only ones. But they, they called me, and they're like, hey, we just want you to know we just accepted a, a position at a church in Seattle. We're going to be the worship directors. And I was so excited for them. Like, it's just unbelievable to me. But my point is God will bring people into your life that you're supposed to have friendship with and discipleship with. But you have to be able to see their value. You have to be able to see their worth. You have to know that God has a, a purpose for them. And there are going to be some people that are going to drive you crazy. Like Sarah and Hagar, right? They're going to drive you crazy. That doesn't mean God doesn't see value in them. Church, this is what we need to do. We need to put on the glasses of Jesus. We need to begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. We need to be able to see our coworkers the way Jesus sees them. To be able to see people in the church the way Jesus sees them. We need to be able to see our family the way Jesus sees them, our friends the way Jesus sees them, and even our enemies the way Jesus sees them. Every single person has value and worth. Every single one of us has potential for Jesus, just like Hagar, who was a slave girl, and out comes Ishmael. Jesus is Elroy. He is the Lord who sees. When I was growing up in, in the Silver Valley, I don't know where we were at. I was trying to remember this week. I could not figure it out. 
But we took the church van at the church I was, I was in as a teenager, and we came over to Coeur d'Alene, and there was some speaker that was speaking. He was dynamic, but, and, and everybody was super excited about it. I, have, I cannot remember who it was for the life of me. But I remember being at this church, and it was completely packed. Don't, don't remember which one it was. Being at this church, it was completely packed. And coming in, and they did this thing right before he spoke, spoke just like we do, like the greeting time. And so I got up, and I was the only teenager in this group of people with the church. And I, and I got up, and I was looking for someone to greet. And you would think I would immediately like go to the youth group or the, or the or younger people or whatever that looks like. But I stood up, and I see this, this elderly lady sitting in the corner. And it was like the Holy Spirit just like put this, go greet her. Go greet her. So I stand up, I walk right over. Um, and I introduce myself. I'm Steve. It's so nice to meet you. Da, 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 da. And she looks at me and says, hey, the Lord sees you. The Lord sees you. And he wants you to know that he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you for, for, your, for what you did tonight. And I truly believe that had an impact in my life in the future. That night, I, I don't know who the preacher was, but I, he was preaching on fire. And he was preaching about pre- building the house of the Lord. And how, and how if you build the house of the Lord, the Lord will then build your house. And he's going on and on. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me clearly and saying, I'm calling you to build my house. Build my house. And sure enough, the Lord spoke to me that night. We need to be able to see the people around us, church. You have neighbors and family and friends that need to know Jesus and they're valuable. Even though, even though you might be saying to yourself, they will never, never come to Jesus. You need, we, they need Jesus, and you need to be able to see them the way Jesus does. I want to close this sermon series in, in, in Luke chapter 19. I want to talk a little bit shortly about the, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, Jesus is speaking, it says this, or telling, or this is a story of Jesus. And in verse 1, it says this, He, and this is being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now at this time, maybe like today, but even more so, tax collectors were hated for a couple reasons. Number one, they, they represented the Roman government. And the Jews did not like being under the Roman government. Two, because they would collect the taxes from the people, but then they would take some for themselves. And they would swindle people. So tax collectors are hated at this time. Zacchaeus is not liked, but protected by probably a group of Roman soldiers. Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I can relate. Been there. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now this is where all of us should be, right? We should all be seeking Jesus. Whether what, you might be here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, you, you, you're not sure, you can take steps to find out who Jesus is. And all of us who have maybe known Jesus for a long time, we should be doing more to grow our relationship with Jesus. Climb the tree. Climb the tree. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, 
he looked up, everybody say looked, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus is Elroy. He is seeing you. And when you are taking steps to get closer to Jesus, he will call you every time. You will find him. Take the steps to know who Jesus is. Verse 6. So he hurried down and came, and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone in to be the guest of a man who was a, who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, behold Lord, the, ha- the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I had defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is Elroy. He is still seeking today. He is still looking. He is still watching. And he hears and he sees. Jesus sees your worth. Zacchaeus was a man that was hated by his own people. They would have wrote him off and said he was worthless. Jesus saw his worth. Jesus sees your potential. They complained to Jesus about going to the house of a sinner. This worthless man. Yet Jesus went and still saw potential in Zacchaeus. And you might be there this morning. You might be stuck in your sin. You might, you might be considered worthless. Jesus is still seeking you. He wants to sit at your table. He wants to know you. Jesus causes you to see others. He causes you to see others. So this, as the worship team comes forward, this is what I, this is what I want to encourage you to do this week. Next time you're at line at the grocery store, you're standing in the grocery store, and you're, and you're waiting for to be checked out. Maybe you're at Costco. Costco lines are long, right? Put your phone away. Put your phone away. And just look. Just look. Seek like Jesus. May start up a conversation with somebody. I know it's weird in the day and age we're in. That's okay. Make eye contact with them. And just see. Maybe the Holy Spirit, seek God for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Take some time this week and just pray. Holy Spirit, put somebody on my heart. Put somebody on my heart. Is there anybody that I need to reach out to? Is there anybody that, that you would like me to pray for? Is there anyone that I can make a phone call to? Sometimes some of you get random text messages from me. It's often what I'm doing, just so you know. Just take a moment and say, Lord, who's on my heart today? Jesus, can I pray for this person? Maybe it's somebody that's not even a part of the church. Maybe it's just a random friend. Ask them if you can pray for them. Let them know you cared. Jesus is Elroy. He is seeking, and he wants people to be saved. He is still looking people that are afflicted by sin and circumstances. He wants to set them free. He wants to bless them. He, want, he wants you to know that you are still valuable to him.